G'day guys, before we jump into this week's episode, I've got a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you want to keep fit and healthy, sign up to Minifit online today and get six weeks free. 15 minute bodyweight workouts, no equipment needed. Train with Anthony Minicello from the comfort of your own home. Just use coupon code THECHANGEROOM. That's THECHANGEROOM when you sign up and get six weeks free. Just head to minifit.com.au. This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Welcome to the Change Room Podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt. Hey, Minnie, I'm dead set, not one bit excited about today's podcast. Three times world champion Mick Fanning is joining us today, bud. I know, he's one of your favourites, Matty. He sure is, mate. I've, I've had the opportunity to work with Mick since 2003 and... Now, you don't, we're not going to learn just about surfing today. This is a guy that's overcome a lot of adversity to get to the top of the world. Lost family members, you know, big relationship breaks down. A shark, I think, attacked him. You might have heard about that many. You know, what an extraordinary human he is. Extraordinary, mate. He certainly thinks about his things differently, mate, and that's why he's such a success. He's multiple world-time champion. There's so much to take out of this podcast. I know the listeners are going to love it. Just need to tell our listeners one thing. Between when we spoke to Mick and now Xander, his first child has arrived on the planet. I just want to say a massive congrats to Bree and Mick. Congrats. Yeah, they've become parents. And I tell you what, extraordinary person. He'll be a great dad and so will Bree be an unreal mother. So, many let's step into the change room and give Mick Fanning a whiff of well-being. Well, on today's Change Room podcast with Minnie and Matt, I've got to say I'm delighted to have three times world surfing champion Mick Fanning join us today. Thanks for coming along, Mick. No worries. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise, mate. Look, and I know you would be so excited about Minnie and I burrowing into your yeah, your surfing prowess and your wave selection, but we're not going to go down that path today, mate. We're going to actually... Perfect. We're going to actually talk to you about how you incorporated fitness, well-being and, and health into your, your preparation and your lifestyle and how and what difference that made in your life and your performance. But I guess, first of all, we'd like to start the show with a, a similar question for everyone, just so we don't, you know, freak you out too early. What's the one thing you've done today, mate, um, that, that's already elevated your health and well-being? Uh, got up, walked the dog. Spent a couple of minutes on the spin bike, warming up the body, and then went for a surf. So, mate, and just have a skull of that uh, smoothie. Oh, as well, and, mate. And my smoothie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a doing a gallbladder cleanse. So if I start freaking out, um, how is the body going? It's going pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I sort of, I guess, once I retired, I sort of got a little lazy, and as you do, and sort of um, skip a few training sessions here and there, and eat some. Bad food, but yeah, last year I, I snapped my ACL, so sort of just coming back from that and getting that back in line sort of just made me uh, reassess my priorities in, in where my body's at and all that sort of stuff. So it, it is going good, that. Well, as an extension of that point, Mick, and this is something that you know, I've been able to observe in you for a long time, is, is that you, know, you made those decisions a long time ago as a person and as a, as a performer to, to integrate cutting edge approach in health and well-being into, into the way you were as a, as a surfer, but also as a person. What was the impetus of that? Where did that come from? Yeah, I'm 
not sure. I guess I've always been pretty driven to try and do the best I possibly could um, ever since I was a little kid. And and then um, sort of took health and, and fitness and all that for granted when, when I was a kid and, you know, I sort of got on the on the world tour at a young age and um, and so it's, everything sort of happened really fast in surfing. But then in 2004 when I snapped my hamstring, that was something that I had to stop. I had to, you know, it was a good time to just reflect on what I had and, and where I was going and it, it actually gave me time to, to look at things like diet and, um, you know, training my body right and, you know, get my mind right for to go and compete against the world's best. So uh, even though the injury was six months and, you know, people say, oh, you're out of the water for six months, it was actually really, it was a really good silver lining where I got to look at, um, yeah, as I said, body health and mind and, and move forward on all that and implement a really good plan for something I still use today. McGill are one of the, probably the first guys uh, to really elevate surfing to a professional level. I remember watching videos of you doing poor check videos. But tell us about, you mentioned 2004 and even prior to that, uh, I remember coming down and watching Pipeline in 2004. I don't know if you remember this with, after one of our kangaroo tours and we went over to the North Shore um, with, a, with a guy named Paul Fisher who's killing it as a DJ at the moment, a good friend of yours. And yeah. we had a big touch football game out on the North Shore because you're waiting for the waves to restart the competition. And, you know, we were all on the beers. Everyone was on the beers. Like, there was a bit of a, a blokey culture, even in rugby league at that point in time, before we went through a transition. But tell us about that transition or before, and then you, you sort of led the way there into making it more professional. It got to a point where... You know, I was always one of the guys that always say yes to a beer or, you know, I would never say no to a good time. I was always I was the same. real fun, you know, <laughs> and that's what you do when you're young, you know. You go and travel yeah. the world and I'm going yeah. to the best places and I sort of felt like I could wash beers off pretty quick and, and then it was during that 2004 period where I was sitting on, on the couch and I was watching an old heat and... Um, I thought in in my head that I got absolutely flogged in this heat. I already knew I lost the heat. But as I watched it, I wasn't that far off to actually winning. And then I I was thinking back, thinking back, and I was like, I just wasn't sharp because I'd been on the beers two days before. And I had this sense of guilt where I was just like, oh, that just killed me. Something that I... I had a couple of sleepless nights because I just was so dirty on myself for doing that, even though it was a, as a year prior or so. But And so I, I made the decision then and there. It was like, all right, no beers until you've done your work. So, you know, I sort of just, you know, I still enjoyed a beer, but it was always at the end of an event. Uh, wasn't during, um, even leading up to an event, I'd have like anywhere between, 10 days to a week off leading up to an event. So by the time I got to the end of the event, it was like three weeks off drinking and, and I just felt so much better and I, I just never had that guilt feeling again of like, oh, mm. God, why did I do that for? So, so Mick, and, and many mentioned check training, but, you know, 
when you're at the pinnacle of your sport, you certainly don't get any shortage of advice from people coming to you and telling you, oh, mate, try this, do this. And I'm sure you've got a heap of good advice. But one of the observations I've been able to make about you for a long period of time is your ability. I don't know whether you've got a built-in bullshit detector <laughs> or, um, or, or how you do it, but your ability to take the advice that works for you, what, what's, your, what's your secret there or is it luck or I'd be interested to get your feedback there. Um, no, it's not luck. I think it's I like a lot of information. Um, you know, I don't mind people coming in and at me from all different angles and giving me stuff, but I'll try it. And I'll sort of look at it as like, oh, that worked amazing. So I'm going to start implementing that. And then other times be like, oh, it did work. It felt okay. I might want to try it again. And then if it just didn't work, I'll just scrap it. I sort of do all the sifting through behind the scenes and um, and that's sort of been something that I've, I've done, yeah, for a long time. Because sometimes you can fall back on a lot of that information that you might not need then and there, but you can use it moving forward if, oh, I remember that little piece, I might try that. Uh, but it is is a lot of trial and error. Mick, tell us about the journey when you, you know, who'd you source first? Uh, you know, you, obviously in the functional movement training space you moved into and, and, and I certainly did that to recover from my own injuries as well. Um, tell us about the first part of that journey and, and what people were thinking and then how did you feel after uh, starting that type of training? Yeah, it sort of, as I said, it all happened around 2004 where, you know, I tore my hamstring off the bone and no one knew what to do really. It was really uncommon injury at the time. So I was just talking to my chiropractor, Chris Prosser, and he was like, oh, maybe we'll go and see this person. And he took me to Jan Carton, who was um, the leading check practitioner in Australia at that time. And she was like, she measured me all up. She's like, yeah, I can work with this. And and just bouncing off both of them and they'll say this or do this. And, and so I did all my rehab with Jen and then I just kept progressing. And as I came back, I felt like I was stronger. I felt like I, I moved better and also just had more stamina as, as I served for longer, which was good. So yeah, that was, that was something that it was just once again, trial and error. And, but I felt so good that I just kept pushing it on and and just learning about why you switch your body on and, and getting ready for an event was something that really progressed really well with me. And that's why I sort of, you know, from from then on, people like, as, I, as you were saying before, like they say that I was the guy that sort of changed the, the way that surfers get ready. That was something that, I was just doing it just for me. I wasn't going out there to go, oh, I'm going to change the whole system. I was just like, I'm just doing what makes me better so I can beat the likes of Kelly Slater or Andy Iron. So, well, you definitely had a huge impact there. Do, do you feel now, or even with youngsters, even in professional sport with young people, they don't really take on the account how lifestyle plays a huge part away from the sport plays a huge part in their preparation and, and obviously their performance. Was it for you when you got more experience or you had those injuries? For me, it was my injuries. Well, I had to change as well. Um, it's hard trying to 
put that message on young guys when they, they're not injured or they think they're surfing well and they can do so much more if they focus on you know, those lifestyle factors like nutrition and sleep and, and their training a little bit more. Yeah, it's sort of, I guess when I was a kid, I wasn't listening to anyone. <laughs> I, was I, I was the same, yeah, exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just going home. I'm just like, I'm yeah. having so much fun. It's working. Why, why change it? And, you know, I guess surfing at the time was, it was pretty much a party guy's sport. And then I sort of feel kids these days, like, there's so much more onto it. You know, you, you yeah, go down yeah. the beach these days, maybe maybe not in footy or, or other sports, but in surfing, you go down the beach. When I first started doing all this, I was like, I'm not stretching on the beach. I look like an idiot. <laughs> and now you go down and everyone's waving their arms around and doing high leg kicks. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and kids, they're like, kids are crazy. They're, they're so onto it. They're like, oh, I'm going to do my warm-up, get ready for my heat, put my music on, because that's what they're seeing on tour where, you know, they probably haven't got all the right tools in the right place, but there's so much more onto it than when I was a kid. I was just like, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I had my head in the clouds most of the time, but um, I don't know if that's more from the parents. You know, I guess there's a lot more sort of soccer mums and dads in surfing now, but, yeah, I think, as a whole, I think surfing is, is definitely moving a lot better. With um, competing at the very very high level, Mick, obviously there's a lot of ups and downs. And I, I guess one of the things there is being able to – this is not a physical preparation, this is a mental and emotional preparation. Now, what, what processes did you implement in – in your your approach to to surfing, as far as that goes, you know, keeping that stability. Yeah, look, I had a I had a pretty good routine for me. Yeah, you know, obviously, you want to go out and win everything. You want to go and you know, smash every every person on the planet, mm-hmm. but that's just not reality. If you're really honest, and for me, it was more if I can prepare myself, prepare my body and my mind and my equipment to the best as I possibly can. And that way it gives me the ability to go out and try and do my best. And if I do my best out in water, win, lose or draw, I can go to sleep at night and be okay with that. I don't have those, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Like Harper can do it for me. But, um, <laughs> all the, uh, he agrees. All the, yeah. Uh, yeah. All the, all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Yeah. I just wanted to eliminate all that. Uh, I think that's something that people know when they're when they're doing their best. People know when they're cheating their training, or and that's when people start getting down on themselves if they're losing because they know that they're, they're missing something. You're the only one who can judge that, and that's why I was so stringent. I was like, I'm, I want to be able to go to bed at night and not have that mind ticking over, I should have, could have, would have. Your preparation, you talk about the physical and Matt just mentioned maybe the, the mental side of it. Um, you were big on, on, on that as well. Uh, and obviously that plays a huge role in uh, professional sport or, or peak performance. It's not just physical, it's mental as well, preparation, your breathing, the way you think. Um, you dived into that a bit towards uh, the back end of your career as well. Yeah, yeah. I sort of, I got to a point I, I think I did check for, for six years with Jan and 
I sort of just fell a little bit flat. I felt like I was doing the same thing, same thing over and over again and nothing on hers. It was more just me. I just wanted to add a little bit more and, and also I was changing in my own self. And, and so I, um, I left Jan, went to another trainer in, in um, Baldwin and, and I sat down with him at the start of it and I said, look, I don't want to do the same thing over and over and over again. Like yeah. I want to come into the gym. I don't want to know what we're doing. I just want to leave that on you. I just want to come in and I want to just power out whatever you've got, um, whatever you got planned. And Nam had a few different things. Obviously, you can, you can, most people can train you in a gym and stuff like that. Um, but also, he had the the uh, breath enhancement training. Yep. Um, which was incredible for me. It sort of helped me do just keep calm in those real heavy situations and, and learn to use my body properly, you know, with the breathing side of it. Uh, so that, that was the training side of it. But then also, too, on, on the other side, on the mental side, with all the breathing as well, I was, I was with a guy called Michael Gervais, who's um, a leading yeah. sports psychologist, and, and he was a guy that really opened my mind to, you know, things like breathing but also visualisation and, and, you know, the, all that positive self-talk. And, and so with a combination of both of those, uh, I felt like my, my levels were just going up and up and up. And did that play a key part, Mick? Because obviously you, at a personal level as well as a professional level, you had your fair share of adversity. I don't want to go into the detail of that. One of the realities of being someone that is at the pinnacle of their sport, you don't get the opportunity to do it that privately, that you're under a lot of scrutiny. Were those things incorporated into that process of dealing with that as well? Um, a little bit. I guess a lot of it is when you've got people that you don't know coming at you and saying these things, you've got to have a really good sense of yourself of who am I? And, you know, sports people are put under so much scrutiny. You know, they're playing sport. They're not, they're not God. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of like I feel like they, they get a bit of a, you know, and, and a, lot of, a lot of the greatest sports people come from broken families, broken homes, and, you know, they haven't had the best upbringing. So I don't know why they're the, they're the you know, the poster child for what we all look to, which is hard. But in saying that, it was just knowing who I was and a lot of times I would just look in the mirror and, you know, if something was bothering me, I would just look in the mirror and, and I'd question myself face-to-face -face in the mirror because you can't run from that person in the mirror. That person is always with you. So those questions I'd always ask, you know, is that real? Is that who I am or is that something that I believe in myself? And a lot of the time it's just like, nah. You're tripping. <laughs> so, uh, and so you just forget it and just move on. But, um, yeah, it's there's definitely I – f I feel like even even to this day I still look in the mirror and, and just ask myself if I'm okay. You know, I think that's a big thing. And a lot of the time I walk away and, um, and I'm smiling. You know, yeah, I'm great. I think that's a good thing to do, look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you okay? You talked a little bit about yeah. the scrutiny and the pressure – uh, and the ups and downs out of the water. What about when you're in a big wave and 
it just all goes wrong. Tell us about the, the pressure and the scrutiny under there when it's like a washing machine. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, that's probably the actual serving side. It's sort of easy, you know. You, you know, there, there are days where you're totally frightened. There are days where it's like, oh, I'm not ready for this. But then you've got to go back and go, okay, I've done the work. I've got the skills. Yeah. And um, I've just got to trust myself in these situations. And, and um yeah, sometimes we fail. That's just it. And, you know, in my world, it's, yeah, you get tumbled for, you know, anywhere between 20, 10 and 20 seconds uh, underwater. You might hit a bit of reef or something like that. But you come back up, um, you bounce. Uh, it's sort of like you're in footy, you know. You take a big hit and just, like, dust it yeah. off and keep moving. I'd yeah. rather definitely take a big hit than getting pummeled by a 12-foot weight. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll swap you <laughs> <laughs> so Mick, you, you made a, a decision to come out of competitive surfing at a time where really you could have continued to do it. What was the, the reason behind that? Um, there was a few reasons. Um, I sort of got to a point where I'd win events and I'd just look in in the mirror and go, is this it? Like, you know, I, I started losing my, my passion for mm. competing and then... I sort of took half a year off in 2016 after a really hard year in 2015 and and I came back in 2017 and to do a year just to see if I was really done or not and um, I just found myself just not doing the work. I found myself just trying to create shortcuts and mm. and deep down I wasn't enjoying that but I didn't have the passion to pull myself up and just go, no, you got to put it together because I just, I just lost that desire to compete. And, and so that was one of it. And then the other thing was I just wanted to just go and just explore different places. I wanted to go and explore new adventures and um, I felt like the tour would just get taking me to the same spots, seeing the same people and I just got really comfortable and I just sat in that comfort zone for long enough I wouldn't say too long because I, I felt like I got out before you know some people just hate their sport or some people just yeah. like hate yeah. the system I was I was in that guy I, I still love the sport I still love mm. watching I still love I'm the biggest fan there is but I just had to get out and um, go and just add a new chapter to my life and in, in exploring that new chapter Mick and you know and uh, quenching that curiosity that you have, did that sort of negate the longing or the, the loss that you sometimes feel when you transition out of competition? Yeah, look, I, I guess some people, you know, speaking to friends that had sort of retired around the same time, they're like, oh, I've just got nothing to work towards or I just felt a little bit lost where I always, I was always travelling. I was still making films. I was still going and trying to create really good content. And so that was my new, that's where my goalposts shifted to rather than world titles. They just went, I want to create content for people to enjoy. And so I never felt that lost situation. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I really want to do and at this time. But uh, I can understand people get really lost and, you know, that camaraderie that you're going to work or you've got an end date each and every each and every month where you're like, I'm going to test myself against this person uh, and see what comes of it. But 
you don't have that once you retire from competition. Speaking of just creating content, Mick, now the stuff in Alaska, mate, now you, you did it all smiling, you know, and drinking um, cocktails on the ice. What was going on there? What was that really like? It was incredible. That, that, was, a, that was a trip that I, I truly needed. We went there and we'd been talking about going to Alaska for a long time and um, it was the first time that I'd done a trip with Mason Ho, who's the other guy on the search with me. And, yeah, it was so much fun. It was cold and it hurt, but it was just <laughs> it was just so much fun. We're like, as I was saying before, like experiencing new things, that was totally brand new to me. I didn't know where the hell we were going or what we were meant to do. And, and next thing, there we are sitting around a glacier and we're drinking Bloody Marys. It was incredible. How did it all come about? Me and a friend were uh, just talking about we wanted to go and go dog sledding. And yeah. um, and so I put it to Rip Curl and and they're like, yeah, we'll go to Alaska. Let's go do it. And so we went and did Alaska and then we didn't go dog sledding. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's still on my bucket list. Oh, it's outstanding. Just going back a little bit about your diet now or even when you got into the poor check stuff and you trained with Nam Baldwin, did you change much of your diet and what does it look like today? Um, I did, I did. I was, I was that kid who, you know, I guess didn't have a lot of money growing up. So once I got money, I was going to Macca's, I was eating <laughs> Hungry Jacks, I was, I was just eating crab food to be honest, uh, big breakfasts and, and I would just burn it off so quick just because I was surfing so much. And then I started learning what foods made me feel like. You know, I sort of started a food diary and, you know, yeah. Mac has made me feel like this shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and, and now I, I have got a con- pretty consistent, like I'm not stringent on like, oh, I've got to eat this or I've got to eat that. It's just I just try and eat clean most of the time. It's it's yeah. not too much of a chore. It's like, you know, you make sure you got your veggies, your salads or, or clean meats and, and then every now and then you have a cheat day. But, um, yeah. yeah, I'm not crazy stringent, but I, I know what foods give me the most energy for the next day, you know, and, and that's something that I'd implement knowing that I'd compete the next day. I'd make sure that I ate the right things so I had premium energy come comp day. And how, how much are you surfing these days? Surfing a fair bit. Yeah, I'm still surfing a lot. I'm probably, um, I'm only a little bit over where I was when I was competing in weight. I no. sort of, yeah, so I did get fat there for a while when I had a bad <laughs> knee. I was sort of, just because I couldn't couldn't do anything. But, um, yeah, I've trimmed it all back now. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's all going good. I'm, I'm you know, I, I surfed the other day. One day I surfed for seven hours straight. I was just so pumped on the waves that I just seven hours so. straight. <laughs> yeah, you, you talked about an ACL earlier. Um, how was that recovery? What happened there, and how is it today? Yeah, look, I, I think the ACL is probably the most boring injury I've ever had. You just can't do anything. It's just yeah. it's just boring. Um, you know, <laughs> everything's just like the tiniest little baby steps. I think babies probably read faster than what I did, but. The, the ACL was feeling really good. I had a great team around me helping me out. Um, 
you know, I went back to doing check work again with a, a friend of mine, Taylor Cecil, and did all my rehab there, and, and that was really good, and, and also with Chris Prosser as well. But yeah, that was a that was a big thing too, like because the injury would swell up so much, you know, you couldn't go and get on the beers or you couldn't go and eat crap food because you'd feel it instantly. And so, yeah, try to, um, yeah, be really healthy through that that stage. But I guess also too, I, I felt like I had the tools, like back in 2004, I didn't have the, all the tools in my mind to, to get through the hard times. There were some dark days where I was getting really depressed or, you know, I just didn't want to go outside where the ACL, it was, I knew, I knew what I was going to face. And so I sort of turned that into the rehab was like my job. I just did it strict, um, you know, just religiously just doing it as much as I possibly could because I wanted to get back to surfing. But, but, and then also too, when, when those dark doubts start coming into my mind, I was like, hang on. And I'd speak to someone. I'd ask someone, you know, is this real or what about this? And as soon as I verbalised it, I was like, I'm just being stupid. You know, it's just so I feel like I had the, a lot better tools in my mind to uh, to deal with the injuries and, and the dark days. Do you have any key people you go to, Mick, in those situations that where you, where you get that advice? A lot of just family and friends, you know, I guess – my partner, Bree, she probably copped the most of it because we're just <laughs> together most of the time. But, but yeah, and then other times just talking to, to friends and just and also the people that I was working with. Like if I had a doubt or something, I, I wasn't scared to uh, ring and ask where, say, 15 years ago, I was scared to ask. I was like, oh, God, I don't want to tell them I did this or that because I felt like a, I was failing. But, yeah, now I sort of, like, I'm okay to ask, I'm okay to be vulnerable and um, okay to get on with it and um, verbalise that I haven't got all the answers. Yeah, you're talking about vulnerability and new experiences. Um, you and Bree are going to become parents. Do you need a hand at all? <laughs> because Minnie's, to, not, not Minnie's here. Not Minnie's here, yeah. not, not from me, mate. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll probably get Minnie's help and not yours, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've got feelings, mate. <laughs> oh, how's it all tracking, no, mate? That's I'm, awesome. Yeah, no, I'm super excited and I know you guys have been through it. So, um, yeah, I'll probably be ringing you for advice at some stage and, uh yeah, look, it, 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 it's pretty cool. Like even just speaking to my friends that have kids already, you know, it's, I was chatting to Parker just the other week and I just rang him just because I was like, hey, what about this? He's like, yes, your first dad question, so sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. So what sort of, are you going to be a strict dad, you reckon, or or laid back? How, how are you going to be? Oh, I, I think I'll just be honest. If it's been a shit, I'll call it a shit. And if it's been really good, I'll call it good. That's it. That's it. Oh, that's yeah. the best thing you've ever done. That's how my parents were with me. Yeah. I've known you since 2003 and I think one of the consistent things with you, Mick, that I've always observed as well is, is that fun is a significant part of your life. You know, it's something that you've been able to include in everything you do, even when you're serious. You know, it... Is that, again, is that just your personality or something that you've consciously gone about to ensure that because it obviously, it does impact your well-being? Yeah, look, I, I think um, 
I think people would sort of just dwell on the bad things too much. Um, and I think if you can, if you can make it, make a joke about the bad things and they're not so bad, you know, and, you know, I, I just try and be honest. It is what it is. You know, if, if something's shit, call it shit. It doesn't mean you have to cry over it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, that's what it is. And, and, but yeah, I feel like there's so people, people, try and dwell on the bad things. I try and dwell on the good things. We've got so much, so much amazing things to live for. And also too, like I, I had this thing where I, I still remember it, watching these uh, kids, I think I was in Africa and, and watching these kids that were just kicking a, a plastic soft drink bottle and yeah. they were having so much fun. They didn't even have shoes, you know, they had rags for clothes and, you know, I don't even know how much food they had that night, you know, just these mm. poor kids and, and they just were having so much fun. And it just made me think, I was like, you don't need all these new things or whatever. And my life is pretty bloody amazing compared to those kids, so why should I be sad, you know? Like, they're having mm. fun, why can't I have fun? And that, that's the way I sort of look at it. That's a, yeah, it's certainly a, an amazing way to be. Have have you found through this period, obviously COVID, you haven't been able to travel. Have you found it being just back at home? Maybe you've enjoyed it. What's it been like? Yeah, look, selfishly, it's been amazing. You see a lot of people, you know, twenty twenty is the the worst year ever, and this and that. And for me personally, it's it's been incredible. Um, I've been able to be home. Um, I've been able to go through every step of watching Brie grow with the belly, but also too just just finding a routine that I've never had in my life. Mm. Having a routine at home is just <laughs> wild. It's it's been <laughs> fun. Like you know, I, I know on a Tuesday and a Thursday at three p.m. I have training. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Nothing else comes in that way. It's 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 awesome. So like. It's been a really big change, but it's been great. That's so good to hear. I mean, the other thing, again, I, there's a part of you that I, I haven't seen for a while. Is, is he still around, Eugene? Does he, does he show up occasionally? <laughs> oh, I've tried to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Can't kill him. Yeah, yeah I know. Has he come uh, for you? Yeah, look, I tried to morph him into someone else a little bit. Um, <laughs> He was just—he just was too naughty. So I—I've got this uh, another alter ego called McMuffin now. <laughs> really? So, yeah, he's a little bit bad, but still a little bit sweet, like a muffin. So uh, yeah, a bit more fun. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> How have the waves been back at home during this period, mate? Mate, we've had—we've had an incredible year. Uh, the waves have been so awesome. Every time you sort of like, oh, is that is that it? And then another swell comes, and another swell comes. It's just, it's been it's been great. Um, it's the most I've surfed since I've been off tour for sure. And but the winter that we've had is probably one of the best winters I've ever seen. What What are your projects now? What's What's happening for you? Um, we just finished a little rip curl film, but a lot of it is, I've just been doing podcast after podcast after podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are I don't you know why. <laughs> um, Are you yeah, bored of it, like mate? That. Is that what you're trying to say? Wind it up? Just no, come out and say it. I've been, I've been so busy, like just, just working, you know. I, I'm sort of hoping that 
COVID will finish so I don't have to work so much and I can uh, <laughs> just keep surfing. <laughs> Oh, too funny. Well, we always like to finish off with uh, the same question. What are two or three key things uh, that you implement in your daily life to be healthier and happier? A lot of it's probably all mental. Uh, As I said earlier, just looking in the mirror and asking myself if if I'm okay. That's a good Um, one, isn't it? It's just so simple, but that's 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 an excellent one. Yeah. You know, sometimes you don't have the courage and strength to deal with the things right then and there, but just know that you can go back to it. Um, that's always been something for me, but just ask myself that. What else have I been doing? Just just knowing that my life is pretty good. I always feel like there's someone always worse off than me, so I can't yeah. whinge and complain about it. Yeah. Get on with it and... Um, and, yeah, I consider myself extremely lucky from where I live to what I have. And then thirdly, mm, just have fun. Just have fun, you know, go and enjoy this beautiful Important. world that we have. You know, even though we are stuck at home at the moment, shit, I, I, haven't, I haven't done housework in Five years, probably. What have you been getting into? Bit of mopping, bit of sweeping? Oh, oh yeah, I'm a great mopper. No, I, I actually... Uh, <laughs> I uh, what did I do? I I rearranged a wardrobe and <laughs> oh, well done. I party it up and paint it. Oh, nice. I painted painted cots and and uh, dresses and yeah, I'm a really good painter. <laughs> awesome. Well, mate, Mick, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, having you on the podcast. Uh, congratulations on your upcoming little one, mate. I hope all goes well there, and uh, we'll, we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, lads. Thanks for having me and uh, all the best. Thanks for listening to The Change Room Podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt. For more information about The Change Room, please head to thechangeroom.info.